This week on Sibling Rivalry Sports, we're looking back at some of the best discussions of the year. Up first, Chris and C.L. Brown are joined in the Backyard Brawl by ESPN's Jay Billis. And welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We have a very special guest with us tonight. You know him. Actually, you may know him from his playing days at Duke. That's right. Uh, but You'd be right. really old if you knew that. I'd like to know that. But we, we all enjoy his work on ESPN as a college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. Jay, thank you for joining us tonight. CL, Chris, great to be with you guys. Thank you. I wanted to. I, I kind of am tired of talking about the FBI trial, even though you know it's it's obviously ongoing right now. But the past year, when they first came out with their their indictments and everything, I, I wanted to get your take though on what what if anything has surprised you in the testimony that has gone on so far. Nothing surprised me. What has surprised me is the response to it, CL, that, uh, that we have had sort of, it seems like everybody involved in NCAA administration, whether it's an AD or a president or people in Indianapolis, are like Kevin Bacon in Animal House saying, all is well, <laughs> uh, you know, no need to panic. And, uh, you know, every time something comes out, you hear somebody say, well, we have no corroborating evidence. And you're like, wait a minute, this is testimony under oath in a, in a federal trial, uh, in, in federal court. And do you think the prosecution is just making this stuff up? And, and now, look, I'm sure this will be backed up on wiretaps, uh, and we'll have that evidence going forward. The, the trial's only been going on for a few days. But, uh, but you know, I don't think that the response from uh, from administrators and from the different schools has matched their high-minded rhetoric throughout the years. And, and look, I don't think these are crimes. Yeah. Uh, I think these are violations of NCAA rules. I know this has been going on for 50-plus years in basketball and football. I know it. Uh, and, and all guys my age that say that, uh, you know, in the good old days this didn't happen, it happened back then, too. And uh, But, you know, I, I don't condone kind of the breaking of NCAA rules. And I certainly don't condone uh, people who are, uh, you know, running out there screaming integrity every time, you know, bloviating about integrity all the time. <laughs> and then when it comes time to show some, they don't show it. Yeah. Uh, that really, that kind of irks me. Yeah, yeah. How, how much of an impact do you think realistically that it will, will have on this season? The just, you none. know, kind of the ripple yeah, effects? None? None. It, it'll be just like last year. The, the only ripple effect will be if, if there are if there is a coach or coaches that are caught on wiretap oh, uh, yeah. discussing payments, their 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 schools will fire them. That'll be it. Um, and I, I I hate to repeat what I said last year, but not one game will be canceled. Every every check will clear on time, and nobody's going to mess with uh, with the money train. That's... So you know people people will will have there'll be more high minded rhetoric coming out of Indianapolis from the NCAA office. And that'll be about it. And, uh, you know, because we've seen so far, I mean, only really only one person of, of any consequence has been fired, and that's Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. And even, even one of his staff that was, was supposedly neck deep in this and has been named again in, in trial testimony, Kenny Johnson, was hired at LaSalle. Yeah. So the idea that, uh, that this could taint, touch, or otherwise ruin a career uh, I mean, it, it's almost like it's almost like you have to have have to have video of it 
otherwise, people are saying, yeah, well, everybody's lying. You know, everybody's lying. They, they're, they're, they were lying on wiretaps when they didn't know they were being wiretapped. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make none of this makes any sense from the standpoint of, of just pretending it didn't happen. And that's pretty much what most most schools are doing right now and hoping this will go away. And I don't blame any coaches that may be implicated in this. What else are they going to do? Yeah. They're not just going to stand up and say, I did it, I did it, in a Perry Mason moment. They're going to they're going to ride this out uh, uh, and and see what happens. That's the that's sort of the, the the smart thing to do from being if you're sort of a, def, a quote unquote defendant in this, even though that's a, they're not they may not have been charged yet. But uh, it's a it's a crazy situation, and I don't think the FBI and the Southern District of New York should be involved, but they are, and since they are, uh, I think. NCAA response from this has been woefully inadequate given all the rhetoric they pumped. You know, CL and Chris, if this were a kid that had been rumored to have taken money, they'd declare him ineligible in two seconds and, mm-hmm. and, and make that kid jump through hoops for months to try to get eligible again. Yeah, but no since this is, these are salaried coaches and games are on the line, they, they, they're not delaying anything and they're not firing anybody. They, they're going to have to have conclusive proof and why the players aren't treated in the same fashion as the coaches is really hard to fathom. Well, I have one one thing I want to ask, just because with the early testimony we hear on one day, Oregon has offered an astronomical, they have an astronomical offer. And then when uh, Brian Bowen Sr. takes the stand, he says that I, I don't recall hearing any offer from Oregon. I, I feel like those are the kind I don't I don't necessarily think everybody is lying, but I also kind of wonder how much how much of this is is, you know, these individuals, Christian Dawkins and the likes, uh, just kind of a lot of hyperbole and a lot of posturing among themselves, uh, uh, talking about maybe maybe coaches that they're trying to act like they have influence over or, or programs and, and that kind of things of that nature. That's certainly possible, and, and what was said to this point about Oregon has been primarily hearsay evidence. So it's somebody talking about it. And, and so, you know, look, I agree. There's nothing conclusive there. But, you know, all of us who have been around this game, and certainly for those that have been around it as, as, much, as long as I have, are not surprised by the idea that there's cheating and there's money being exchanged. So now, while there may be one school here or one program here that this was overblown or maybe not true or maybe somebody was puffing or or lying, whatever you want to call it, the idea that none of this happened is, is, I think, a a tremendous stretch. And, And I think if you lined up all these coaches and put a little truth serum in them, you know, when they lose the recruit, everybody's cheating. Yeah. But now with the FBI involved, well, wait a minute, this is overblown and nobody's doing anything. Yeah. So I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think everybody's doing this. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any recruit out there that's a good player that is not ineligible. And I don't mean they've taken $100,000, but I mean they've, they've taken something. Uh, they they have, have had an extra benefit at some point. You know, you're going to have somewhere where, where that's happened. Uh, but but this is all, this carries a little more weight to it, and it's going to be there's going to there are going to be substantial issues coming out of this in the next two three weeks, and I don't believe somehow that the government brought this entire case based upon hearsay evidence, and I, they, they've got wiretaps to back this stuff up, yeah. and I certainly don't believe given the defense's posture that the defense is basically saying 
yes, we did all these things, but it's not a crime because everybody was doing it, and we were doing it to help the schools not hurt them. Therefore, there's no victim here. And that, that's what's required in, a, in a, you know, sort of wire fraud and all these other bribery. There has to be a victim. And the government is claiming that the school is the victim. The school who benefited from the players being there is the victim. And, and that's, a, that, that's going to be a, 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 a little bit of a hurdle, although uh, I, I still think the government is going to get convictions here and the best opportunity for the defense is going to be on appeal. Chris and C.L. Brown's discussion with ESPN's Jay Billis will continue next on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Chris and C.L. Brown now continue their discussion with ESPN's Jay Billis. Uh, switching gears, uh... Uh, to talk about actual the action that's going to take place on the court this year what do you think in terms of the blue bloods all all kind of being heavyweights it seems like this year kansas duke kentucky north carolina all all probably preseason top five-ish teams um it, I always get excited when, and maybe I'm just a front runner in that way, but I always get excited when the traditionally rich programs are going to field good teams because I feel like it makes the whole sport better. Me too. I, I think that's the way most people view it, and that's the way the ratings uh, indicate that, that people view it, is that when, when Kentucky and Carolina, Duke and UCLA and Indiana, they're all strong. Uh, it makes for a better season and more interest. Uh, as you guys know, we've got a couple of, of non-traditional, uh, I, I should say non-Power 5 uh, teams that are going to be right up there with the big shots. Nevada has got everybody back, plus uh, an excellent freshman in Jordan Brown. And then, and then Gonzaga is going to be really good again. So uh, Gonzaga is going to be top, top 10, maybe even top 5 then. Uh, this season with some of the, the transfers they have eligible, the guys they've got coming back and a great guard play and all that. So they'll be, you know, will we have another Loyola Chicago, uh, even though Loyola Chicago will be good again? Are they going to be as good as they were last year? Probably not, but they'll still be legit. Uh, will we have something like that? Who knows? I mean, it, you have to catch lightning in a bottle to get that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think having the, the big shots really strong, uh, always makes it better. Just like you know, baseball is better when the Dodgers and the Yankees are strong. Um, you know, in the bigger markets are strong. That, that's the same in fo- college football, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, and and it's certainly true of college basketball. I believe. Yeah, it, you actually segued, and my next question was going to be about Nevada and and how risk, how realistic do you think? Their chances are going to be to kind of fulfill that those those expectations, given that they've never been in this situation before. They've never been that preseason target on your back kind of school that everybody's expecting to have the the big year. Yeah, I think it'll be that'll be the biggest issue is how do they do week to week when they're they have that kind of target on their backs, and that that's tough to adjust to. Where you know maybe last year, the year before. They, they they never they weren't sneaking up on anybody, but they they might not necessarily have been getting everybody you know high energy best shot, and this year they will. They'll be like a, like Gonzaga or a, you know Indiana or Duke whatever, where people get fired up to play in. And the hardest thing I remember as a player was wrapping your head around you know when you got really good was that 
the team that you watched on film was not the team you were going to get when you suited up against them. That that somehow you know how a, how a team in the when I played in the ACC years ago how a team played against Clemson or something was not indicative of how they were going to play against North Carolina or Duke, and exactly. uh, they, they always played at a higher level, and so Nevada is going to have to deal with that, and that's something that Gonzaga has been used to over the years. Uh, but you know Eric Musselman's been through it on on a number of different levels. I don't think that'll be a problem because they're older and they've got guys that have played major conference basketball, uh, so it's not a it's not that big of a deal. But it'll be a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, one one kind of uh, off court issue I've seen you uh, bring up is the the uh, the NCAA needing NCAA basketball needing full time officials instead of contracting to guys and and women and having them come in to do games. I'm curious what what do you feel like would be the tangible difference in the quality of officiating if if we did have full time officials as opposed to the current system. I think they'd be better trained. They're, they're well-trained now, but I think they'd be better trained. Uh, they would be better rested, and you would have um, a lot more consistency as far as assignments are concerned. And you know, just like in the NBA, uh, they, have, they have a number of officials they can assign. The officials aren't overworked. Our, our guys are overworked, and they're independent contractors. We don't have any real control over them. Uh, they can jump from conference to conference and work whenever they feel like it. We do have a little bit more uh, consolidation among conferences uh, where you've got a supervisor of officials that's overseeing a number of conferences, so they can they can dole out assignments a little bit better and they have a little bit more leverage saying, hey, look, if you if you work for another league and you're you're uh, putting yourself in situations where you may be tired for our games, we're not gonna, we're not going to keep you long term. You know, you might be able to do that, but the truth is, you guys know that the, the the top programs want the older, more experienced officials. And one of the things we have to do a better job of is bringing younger officials up to the pipeline and identify the younger talent because we have to the, the player or the, the officials have to be able to keep up with the game. And and this is not an ageism thing, but but being 54 years old, I, I I'm acutely aware of the older you get, the slower you get, <laughs> and and so having having guys that are coming up that are younger, uh, men and women, uh, would be really helpful. And these 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 officials do a great job, um, but I'm one of those that people are going to say, oh, here you go, the Power Five elitist. The, the money's being driven by the Power Five schools. They need to band together and hire these officials. And then if if the if you know there are thirty what thirty one conferences or whatever it is, if the bottom ten conferences aren't getting the best officials or the bottom half of Division One aren't getting the best officials all the time, that's not the top half's problem. And and you know they can get they they get the best you can get, but they don't get you could argue they don't get the best coaches and the best players either. So what? Yeah. But, but we've got we've got to put our best officials where the money is and where the eyeballs are first. And hey, if we can get enough officials to go around, great. But we, but but you know, sort of, there aren't there, there aren't enough great players to to, to staff 351 Division One teams equally. There certainly aren't enough officials, and uh, so we have to put our money where our mouth is and put our best officials where they deserve to be. 
Jay Billis here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Jay, uh, first of all, congratulations because you are the first Duke graduate that we've had on the show. Just we're going to just give you a hand clap for that. We we appreciate you being with us. Now now that we're going down the home stretch here, Jay, we want to honor something that you do with such excellence. And as the the ninety four foot conversation that you have uh, with these athletes, everybody loves that. And so what I wanted to try to do here, Jay, is honor you by doing maybe the radio equivalent, if you will, of that. I'm going to go 94 seconds with it, and I'm just going to fire out questions and uh, hit, hit us back with whatever comes to mind. Does that sound okay? Awesome. That sounds great. Okay. All right. Starting the clock, and here we... Let's get some music going. Okay, thanks. And here we go. Favorite ice cream? Uh, mint chocolate chip, Ryder. Favorite sports moment pre-college? Uh, probably in high school where uh, uh, I scored like 30 points, 23 rebounds against our crosstown rival, uh, Palos Verdes, and we won, we won the game. Favorite sport to play outside of basketball? Right now it's golf. When I was uh, younger, I, I, I played baseball. Favorite action movie? Uh, that's a good question. Um, probably Die Hard, as, as long ago as that was. I love Die Hard. Second favorite rapper behind Young Jeezy? Uh, Jay-Z. Favorite Kevin Bacon song? Movie. Um, I, a movie, yeah. Uh, Animal House would be my favorite, and next would be uh, Apollo 13. Secret alternate career of yours that you'd like? Secret alternate career. Um, I would really like, I would, I would have loved to have been uh, the commissioner of a league, like a, a base, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, WNBA, whatever it was. I'd love to be a commissioner. Favorite city in the world? Los Angeles. Not close. Worst city in the world? <laughs> Worst city in the world. That's a tough one. Um, I've been to a lot of bad cities. I don't even know if I could come up with that one. It, it would probably be somewhere that I played in Europe uh, when I was playing pro ball overseas. I, I would say like some of the podunk towns that I played in, like in southern Italy, even though the food was great, the towns weren't so hot. Gotcha. That was excellent. That was excellent. Hey, I, I'd like to go on record to be your campaign manager uh, to, for NCAA basketball commissioner. Since yes. If you want to be a commissioner, I, I'm all for that. <laughs> nice. Dang, the pay is good. I would love to have that kind of coin. <laughs> <laughs> Real nice. Well, Jay, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to join us today. Um, and uh, I, I hope to see you along the way sometime at, out of the game and, and uh, be able to say hello in person. Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure, Chris and CL. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you, Jay. Jay. Sibling Rivalry Sports will return on 97.9 The Hill after this. Okay, CL, to see who gets to do the promo for Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, let's play Show Guest Poker. You first, Chris. Boom, Dre Bly. I see your Dre Bly, I raise you Bucky Brooks. I see your Bucky Brooks and raise you Jay Billis. I raise you Josina Anderson. Uh, no, no, that's not fair. What's well, not fair? No, Josina's like Carolina's sweetheart. You can't claim her. Too popular. She was on the show. No, Sibling no, no, Rivalry Sports starring Chris and CL Brown. UNC Roots, national sports and guests. Only on 97.9 The Hill every Thursday night at 7 on demand at chapelbro.com. 
Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Chris and CL were joined by former NFL and Tar Heel defensive back and now current Tar Heel coach Dre Bly. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on WCHL 97.9 The Hill. And now we're, we're atop the hill with this guest that we have joining us. He's a two-time Pro Bowl, All-Pro, Super Bowl 34 champion, two-time NFC champion, three-time college football, All-American, 2014 College Hall of Fame inductee. Number 32, or if you're specific, 31 in your program. Number one in your heart, Dre Bly. Dre, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Good to be here, man. Man, we are honored to have you today. One of the best of all times. Just got to put, put put a hand clap together for that. Just one of the best of all time. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you, it. Man, people love hearing your name. People love you know, seeing your face, uh, I know that you uh, represented for Mac Brown recently when he was inducted to the uh, to the College Hall of Fame and that type of thing. But what would you tell people with that generic question that they might ask what you're up to? I'm sure people are interested. Uh, well, basically, um, you know, since I've been done, I've just been very involved in the community here in Charlotte. Uh, started a couple of youth organizations, football teams and baseball teams, fell in love with it. Um, I have five kids, and my two oldest boys, um, you know, are very athletic, and so they got me going and just fell in love with it. And so the last four or five years, I've really been polishing up on my coaching skills, um, pursuing that. Um, I just got back from Miami, did the um, defensive internship with the Dolphins, and then I did a internship last year with the Saints with those guys all the preseason and then you know they got that new Alliance League American Alliance yes. League uh, where they got like eight different teams uh, Singletary as a coach mm-hmm. uh, Steve Sperrier Rick Newhauser, Mike Marks had a team um, yeah. in San Diego and he hired me as his DB coach so oh, wow. I'm wow. looking forward to that very excited that league starts the first week after the Super Bowl they have a TV deal so mm-hmm. they'll be Televising the game weekly, and um, it's like a spring league for the NFL. So I'm very excited about that, man. Um, you know, coaching and giving back and teaching, being around a game is what I love to do, and um, I'm looking forward to that start. Yeah, now that's the Alliance of American Football, everybody. I would I would advise you to go look it up. It's pretty incredible what they have planned for that league. AAF.com. Lots of football people. Every single coach in every single city, as Dre is saying, is is legit. So he's going to be with that San Diego franchise under Mike Martz, coaching the DBs. That is exciting. Now, um, I, I do want to ask you this. So you had you had 13 interceptions. Uh, just going back to your your career as a Tar Heel freshman season. That's that's when that's when everybody knew you were on the scene. 11 in the season, two in the Gator Bowl against West Virginia. Um, but there was a there was a game that you uh, you guys played. This is kind of a blast from the past. There was a game that you played later in your career. I think it was your senior year against Stanford. I don't know if you recall this. I'm sure there are many moments, but. Uh, I could hear you watching on television. You yelled out to the Stanford sideline. They, I think they, it was early in the game. I think they, they were looking at coming your way, but they didn't. And you yelled out, don't come my way. 
you can hear it over TV or what have you. That always impressed me big time. And, you know, the interceptions, uh, your last two seasons, you had a com- combined nine interceptions. It seemed like people got wise to who you were and that type of thing and, and stopped coming your way. Was, how was, was that a little, as a player, if you can go back to just as a college player, was that a little frustrating? Is that what we heard when you yelled that out? Or what was that like that they started to kind of fear you? Well, I mean, that, that comes with the territory. You know, I, I jumped on the scene early, you know, making plays. And, you know, and, and I feel like, and I tell people this, you know, looking at our defense that we had in 96, you know, looking at what was around, they had a great support cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was up to Robert Williams and I to, to hold out into the bargains. And, um, and being the younger guys on the defense, that's what it was. And, you know, we had to step up to the plate, and we did. And so once I got to that status, got to that level, and realized, um, you know, I was making a lot of plays and realized that, you know, I was going to be targeted a little differently. Um, you know, it sort of got a little frustrating, but that comes with the territory. You know, Deion Sanders was a guy that I idolized as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, playing that position as a DB, you have to be you have to be very vocal. You have to be a guy that that has a lot, a, a, a lot of confidence and play with a lot of swag. And that was one of the things that I did, um, you know, try to make the game fun when you're out there competing. Uh, you just want to remind guys, you know, hey, this is, you know, this is what I can do, and, and if you come my way, I'm going to make you pay. And so that's <laughs> pretty much how I play the game. Hey, I, I wanted to ask kind of along that, those lines, though. Like, I, I was watching the game from this weekend, and at, at what point, especially now that you're going to be getting, uh, you're going to be on the sidelines coaching guys at the position, at what point do you put a, a player in check for having, I guess, too much swagger, too much confidence, and they haven't yet backed it up? Like, I, I see a lot of guys like that sometimes that they'll be talk, they'll be down like 40 to 7, and they make a play, and they get up, and they're popping off at the mouth. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, how, how do you kind of uh, uh, balance wanting a guy to have confidence but, like, also <laughs> understanding the, the, the big picture? Well, it has to be realistic. It has to be real. You know, at any point when you're losing 40 to 7, you know, there shouldn't be a lot of chirping going on you, you, or a lot of smack talking because, you know, you're down 40 points. And so, but still, at the end of the day, you're out there competing regardless of, uh, I can see both sides of it because at the end of the day, you know, you want to, you know, you want to play, you don't want to change. Whether You know, I tell DBs, I tell kids, I coach, you know, you want to remain the same when when the sky is is sunny or when it's cloudy. And, um, but still, you have to understand, be realistic about it. Um, You don't want to be a little like a, a you know, a jerk why why you doing so, but um it's hard, you know, when you out there competing in front of millions of people and and on a big stage, it's kinda hard to to to, to pull yourself in. But you know, the one thing that I always did, you know, I understood I understood the, the big picture. I understood when it was needed and and when it wasn't a time to do it. And so um, you know, that's basically how it is. Chris and CL's discussion with Dre Bly continuing next on Sibling Rivalry Sports.
Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Chris and CL were joined by former NFL and Tar Heel defensive back and now current Tar Heel coach Dre Bly. Yeah, we've uh, speaking of the big stage. We've been talking a lot the, the past couple of weeks, running up into the NFL start on how the the rules have changed in terms of tackling for in the NFL. I, I was wondering how how would you approach the game today if if you were still out there playing w- with regards to you know you you've been playing one way, you've been tackling one way your whole life, and now you have to kind of reteach yourself on the proper way to approach a guy even though you're going full speed and have to make a split-second decision. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on these rule changes? Is it good for the game to you know kind of clean up some of the head injuries and that kind of thing, or, I mean, or is it difficult? Are you guys going to be doing that in the AAF, too? Are you going to be teaching heads-up tackling? Oh, yeah, you want to teach the proper way. You know, that's one of the reasons why I got involved. It's, it's, so, many, it's, so, it's so many bad coaches out there, guys, not teaching it the right way. You know, on a youth level, uh, teaching guys the wrong way to tackle, teaching guys the wrong way to practice. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people that I think I was ahead of my time because I wasn't the most physical of guy. Um, you know, when I did, you know, get a little dirty and, and stick, you know, and got a little involved, I, I didn't particularly stick my head in there. I was always a shoulder tackler or, or you know, with my hands. So, um, yeah, I, I think just trying to clean up the game, but got to be careful how much you do because at the end of the day you know you got these defense defense players that's going in and they're scared to throw and scared you know scared to lunge and then by them not doing so they're endangering themselves and so and if you got a guy coming on a, a, a skinny post and you got the safety coming downhill um if the safety does you know if you don't give it his all or or try to, to uh you know get the ball out of his hands and if you go in catching, you know, more so catching the, uh, the, the offensive player, then he might endanger himself or might miss the tackle. So it's, it's kind of a 50-50 situation. Um, it's it's kind of, um, you know, the, the defensive player is, is sort of like in a, 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 a lose-lose situation. But, um, you know, it's tough, man. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I played the game during a time when the game was very physical. And I was able to make it out okay, not having uh, any concussions and not having a lot of injuries. So I was able to make it through. Um, so you just got to try to find a fine line. You know, you want to teach guys the proper way. You want to take is always the most important thing. But still, at the end of the day, the game has to be played. And the game um, has to be played a certain way. That's right. Okay, so, Dre, speaking of what you're teaching, I noticed a change in technique, and, you know, I'm not an expert. I wish I was, but uh, I've noticed a change in technique maybe since 2016, I think, is when I first noticed that teams seen a lot of teams are turning more to a corner, a defensive back, when they're covering receiver, having their back to the action, fully focused on the receiver. I hate it. Thank you. Will you please help me with this? I hate it, and that's how most of the defensive back coaches are teaching the defenders is to play through his hands, to turn into the receiver. And um, I hate it because you, you take a playmaker. I mean, you, basically the defensive player isn't allowed to be a playmaker. And so uh, you just got to find a way to teach. And the reason why is because you, you got guys that can't play the ball. You got guys don't know when to look back, and so because they don't know how to play the ball, they don't know when to look back. You know they get beat, and so 
uh, you know, when I become a DB, DB coach, I'm going to teach my guys to play the ball. You know, I can live with a guy that's trying to make a play and get beat versus the guy that's not playing the ball and get beat. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the thing about playing DB. You're going to get beat. They're going to catch passes. But if they're making passes, completing passes and catching balls when you're trying to be, um, you know, aggressive and make plays, then I can live with that. But if they're making plays on you up and down the field and you're not aggressive trying to make the play, then that's when I'm going to have a problem. And so I think with coaching, you just got to find, you got to teach these guys how to read the eyes, how to read the shoulders, and really drill that and uh, to the point where a defensive back can be allowed to make a play, man. You know, like that's the, one of the things I'm going to specialize in as a coach is that's one of the things I was blessed in. I tell players at the time, all the time, specialize in what you're great at and what you're not great in and what you're not good in. You work on that all the time. And so I'm going to specialize. I'm going to find my players and I'm going to find out what they do well and specialize, help those guys be great in what they do well as a player. And then with the areas they need to improve in, we're going to really work on that. But playing the ball is one of the things I want to be known as as a DB coach. Uh, and I feel like it's very important. And it was it was very important for us. You know, Robert Williams played on the other side of me. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that, – By the way, that's the best corner tandem, I believe, that NC has ever seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, oh, yeah, no doubt, hands down. I tell people all the time, Robert mm-hmm. Williams is the best corner, the best cover corner to ever go to Carolina. And because he didn't have a lot of picks, that doesn't mean he didn't play the ball. No, no, I say, I, I'm saying that both of y'all were the best tandem. I just want to make sure you understood oh, yeah, yeah, that. Okay. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I heard what you said, but I was saying, you know, just, you know, people always mention about Robert and mm-hmm. him, you know, he had breakups or he didn't have hands and this and that. Robert always played the ball. You know, if you put yourself in proper position and, and be in the right position, um, you know, you're supposed to play the ball. And we were always in great position. But then I ain't gonna say I'm not gonna say necessarily always in great position, but we just knew when to look back for the ball, and um, and that's what I'm gonna teach. I'm a I'm a specialize in that, and um, and hopefully, you know, when you see a group of guys that's being coached by me, you can say those guys are playmakers. Like that. Those guys play the ball. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, we, we want to let you out with, with one uh, final question, talking about the current team uh, at Carolina, the current state of affairs, 0-2 going into this weekend. We don't know if the game is going to get rescheduled or canceled or what Hurricane Florence is going to do. But uh, just when you when you look from afar, obviously you were back for Mac Brown's recognition, uh, the Hall of Fame recognition that they had here in Chapel Hill for him. Um, I'm wondering just how, how close you remain to the program and, and what are your thoughts on, you know, just the kind of the, the turmoil, if you will, the situation, the, the hard times that the program is going through right now? Well, it's a tough time right now. I'm really close to the program. Um, I have a great deal of respect for Coach Fedor and the coaches that they have. Um, you know, ever since he's been on staff, been the head coach, you know, we've interacted, we've talked. You know, I've you know I've come down and, and visited and met with players and, and stuff like that. And so it's a tough time right now. You know, it was sort of tough last year with those guys' experience and what they did. Guys should draft and then experiencing all those injuries and then having, uh, you know, the problems that they had last year. And we were hoping this year for a different start, you know, a different outcome. But, you know, you know dealing with some of the things that they've been dealing with, uh, the start of the season with guys being suspended and then still the instability at the quarterback position with Surratt being hurt and then Elliott. Um, you know, it's it just it's a tough time right now. Hopefully, you know, the good thing about this right now, 
um, I mean, you only can get better, you know, and that's the way you, you have to look at it. Um, it's not the end of the road. You still got a lot of football left to play. You control your own destiny. And so, um, you know, if you eliminate the mistakes, the penalties, and some of the things they haven't done as well, uh, you, you have a chance to bounce back. And, um, and so hopefully those guys can bounce back. Uh, you know, if they play this weekend, get a chance to play at home in front of the home crowd. Hopefully we get a, um, you know, have a, a, a good, good attendance where, you know, the guys, you know, the fans will be there to root the guys on. And so hopefully they can bounce back, man. But it's a tough time, you know, being a former player and, and playing during the time that I played when football was, was as high as it's been. Um, it's tough to see those guys struggle like they've struggling, like they've been struggling up late. Yes. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. I was just really starting to get to, to get to enjoy this. But uh, Dre, thank you so much. I mean, you know, I got a five-page treatise. I was just in Canton, Ohio, for the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame induction and and covering that. I, I got a five-page treatise. Why your your bust is? Uh, it needs to be you know in the make up there. But you know, that's I guess that's another show. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, that's another show. I appreciate that, man. Um, but uh, you guys enjoy your. Rest of your evening, man, and um, and shoot, go heels, man. Hopefully, we bounce back this week. Yes, go heels. This has been Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. From Chris, CL, and all of us here at The Hill, we wish you a very happy new year. Hey, Chris, you ready to record that promo for the show? Yes, CL. Since it's for Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, I'm older. Just go with me and say, "Mm mm-hmm. No, I'm not going with you. It should be more me encouraging all the younger siblings to rise up. Rise up? No. No rise. Sit down. Definitely me. And definitely not you. What do you mean definitely not me? Sibling Rivalry Sports starring Chris and CL Brown. UNC Root, national sports and guests. Only on 97.9 The Hill every Thursday night at 7 and always on demand at chapelboro.com.